All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book, Fool's Aaron, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys. Speaking of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft, check out this awesome thing that they did. And uh, I'm happy to note here in conjunction with uh, David Swanson and the group at World Beyond War, importantly, and uh, American University as well here, it says. It's this giant study, this big report, Drawdown, Improving U.S. and Global Security Through Military Base Closures Abroad. Quincy Brief, number 16, by David Vine, Patterson Deppen, and Lee Bolger. And um, by the way, uh, Vine, as you guys may remember, is uh, the author of Island of Shame about America's uh, and uh, Britain's uh, abuses of the people of the Chagos Islands in the Indian Ocean. And then uh, he also wrote, uh, is it Base Nation? Is that what it's called, David? Sorry. That's the one. That's the Base one. Nation. I got holes in my brain, man. I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> I mean, I got it right, but I wasn't sure that I did. Uh, Base did. Nation. And this is, you know, essentially, this is the heir to Chalmers Johnson <laughs> warning about America's overstretched uh, military global empire here. And uh, so here's this great work. Um, which is, uh, you know, essentially, first of all, uh, you know, making this great recommendation, but, but second of all, uh, strike that reverse, describing this empire bases around the world, which I got to say, you know, you kind of hear high numbers of U.S. bases around the world a lot of the times, but not like this. Nobody ever really explains it and goes through to show what they mean by American preeminence in the world. So welcome back to the show, David. How are you, sir? Scott, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm good. I'm pleasure to get to talk to you as always. Yeah, man. All right. So make me understand. How's this work? Well, I'll do my best. But yeah, the, my colleagues, uh, Patterson Deppen and, and Leah Bolger and I uh, did put out this, this recent report, Drawdown, uh, which uh, we think provides the best listing and uh, details about the global collection of U.S. military bases abroad. So 750 military bases outside the 50 states in Washington, D.C., in 80 foreign countries and colonies. 750 bases in 80 foreign countries and colonies. And just to put that in perspective, China has eight bases abroad. Uh, it has eight bases abroad, plus bases in Tibet, if you want to count those. The rest of the world's countries combined <clears throat> have maybe 200 foreign bases among them. So the U.S. has at least, well, well over three times the number of foreign military bases as the rest of the world's militaries combined. It's also helpful to compare the 750 U.S. bases abroad to the 276 U.S. embassies, consulates, and missions overseas. We think this, you know, sadly captures the emphasis in our foreign policy, which has been a foreign po policy defined by war, 
not by diplomacy. It's also important to point out that we're spending, U.S. taxpayers, that is, are spending $55 billion in conservative estimate, $55 billion a year to maintain these bases, just to keep them running. And that doesn't even account for the costs of the, the personnel who are stationed on the bases, which brings the total to tens of billions of dollars a year more. And $55 billion a year, is that's a, that's a budget that's bigger than the budget of the State Department itself. Again, underlining how misguided, how misappropriated uh, the funds have been and how misguided our foreign policy has been for far too long. Yeah. All right. So can we just start in the east and move west? Uh, what is the American presence, for example, in South Korea, in Japan? Okinawa, really, right? Not <laughs> Okinawa itself is a is a territory colonized by the Japanese before it's colonized by us. Right. But uh, do we have troops? Do we have bases That's in the rest of Japan or it's all down in Okinawa? There are U.S. bases and troops throughout Japan, but the vast majority are in Okinawa indeed, which was, was colonized by, by Japan, was was a colony of the United States for uh, two decades after World War II. We just passed the anniversary of the islands technically going back to, to Japan. Um, but the people of Okinawa very much feel like they are still under occupation, the occupation of, of U.S. bases and troops. And there are people around the world, unsurprisingly, who feel like they are under occupation of U.S. troops and, and bases. And I, I think it's important for folks in the United States to think about, you know, how would we feel if there was a foreign military base in our town or city or wherever we might live? How would it feel if there was, you know, even the, even an ally like Britain or France had a, a base in our, our town or city? Um, and, and, you know, in Okinawa, is, it's a perfect example. These, these are massive bases. These are uh, or, or, you know, or Guantanamo Bay. Guantanamo Bay is, is, is a base that is the size of Washington, D.C. Um, these are not small plots of territory. In Okinawa and Ginawan City, there's a base that looks like a, Ginawan City looks like a donut because the, the base is in the middle of the city and is completely surrounded by the rest of the city um, and is just this massive hole in the middle of the city that is taking up valuable land, property, um, and putting people's lives in danger because of the frequent overflight by um, all sorts of military aircraft. Uh, but beyond Okinawa, beyond Japan, as, as you asked, you know, there are uh, now uh, upwards of 70 bases still in, in South Korea, decades after the end of the Korean War, although the Korean War technically still persists. Uh, 119 bases throughout all of Japan, 119 bases in Germany still, uh, 44 in Italy. And these numbers, it's important to come at, to, to point out, come from the Pentagon itself. The, the basis for our list of the 750 bases in 80 countries and colonies, the basis for that list is the Pentagon's own accounting. Uh, that is that the Pentagon on a, on a previously on an annual basis put together a, a list of its bases. And it was well known that this list had many omissions and errors, uh, but we use that as, as the, the, the base, so to speak, for our list, uh, which we th then um, added to with well-documented bases that, that the Pentagon simply, you know, didn't put on this list for reasons of secrecy or just perhaps incompetence or reasons we uh, don't even know. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, I was in a debate with Bill Crystal the other night, and I'm just kicking myself for all the things that he said that I didn't get a chance to address. I bet he feels the same way. Uh, but one of them, I did address it, but not as well as I could or should have, was about how, you know, you call us an empire, but all these people around the world, they're glad we're there. And if you asked them if they wanted us to leave, then they would say no. I, you know, trust me, believe me about that. And so I came back with some crack about, oh, I'm sure when he goes to dinner parties in Poland that they, you know, are very happy to have NATO money, you know, showered on them or whatever. But that's not necessarily how the people feel. And he he went so far as to claim that, like, that's how the people of East Timor would feel, too, and this kind of thing. Like, yeah, I really don't think so. But what I really should have done was beat him over the head with Okinawa because I've read Chalmers Johnson, and I know those poor people. Of course, David can never forgive the at least double digits, maybe high double digits or even more of young girls who've been raped and even murdered by American soldiers and Marines stationed in their country all these, you know, for these generations since World War II. People run over by trucks speeding down the road and whatever other, you know. The occupation of Japan, it ain't like the occupation of Iraq, but if you live there, it's the worst thing in your life. No question about it, you know? And they hate, of course they resent it. Yeah, I think there is a lot of anger and, and, and resentment. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's actually in, in some ways surprising that I, I found very little hate. Um, hate, of course, is a, a strong word. And, but, it, you know, in fact, in Okinawa, when, when I went to do research there um, and, and in places around the world where there are U.S. bases and protest movements that are asking the U.S. either to leave or are trying to block the expansion of the U.S. presence, I, I, I was welcomed. Um, you know, the, the protest one sees at U.S. bases around the world is not motivated by anti-Americanism. It's motivated by an opposition to U.S. military policy, by what bases do to people and their lives, including as you pointed out, the, the crimes committed by U.S. military personnel, the accidents that um, also have taken many, many lives, um, and not just in Okinawa, but again, in, in places around the world, accidents involving troops just as in their daily lives outside the base or accidents involving military aircraft, for example. Uh, but that's just the beginning. Of course, you know, bases are bad for the environment, wherever military bases uh, bases cause damage to the local environment, and the damage that U.S. bases have caused has often been far worse overseas because basically the military can get away with doing things that they wouldn't be able to get away with in the 50 states. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, you pointed to the, you mentioned the, the Chagossians, who were the subject of, of my first book, Island of Shame. They are an example of the kind of displacement that we've seen at U.S. military bases abroad, where, where bases during their creation, like in the creation of the base on Diego Garcia, or in the expansion of bases, have frequently displaced local, mostly indigenous populations. Uh, uh, and uh, I've been able to document more than 20 such cases uh, since the end of the 19th century, where U.S. bases, during their creation or expansion, have, have displaced local people. Uh, it's also important to point out, and you know, I, I wonder if this came up in your conversation with Crystal, but you know. We can't forget what bases are, are their, their primary function, of course, is, is to be weapons of war. These are, these are bases that have enabled 
the last 20 years of endless war. These are bases that in the Middle East in particular, which has a huge infrastructure of U.S. bases, uh, has enabled the U.S. to launch wars and deploy combat troops to no fewer than 25 countries since 2001. 25 countries far beyond Afghanistan and Iraq alone, Syria, Yemen, Somalia, the Philippines, um, 25 countries. I think most people in the U.S. Aren't, aren't aware of this. And bases are the infrastructure of war. They are what make war possible. And my greatest fear now is that if we don't begin to draw down, as the title of our report says, draw down this huge infrastructure of bases, we're going to end up in yet more wars. Uh, despite the the encouraging the encouragement of uh, encouraging development of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, as terrible as the the actual last days of the withdrawal were, um, that is moving us in the right direction. And and the right direction for for me and for my co-authors Patterson Deppen and Leah Bolger is not just to close bases abroad, not just draw down, but we have to draw down and then build up, as we say. We have to build up our diplomatic presence overseas. We have to build up our diplomatic engagement, our other forms of non-military engagement uh, with other with people, regular people, and, and foreign governments, uh, and 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 draw down this this foreign policy that's been defined by bases in war. Mm. All right, sorry. Hang on a second. Important business here. I was telling my friend, man, you drink too much. You know what's causing all these other problems. Just smoke weed instead. It's way better for you. And now you can get good smoke in the mail. And it's totally legal just about everywhere in America. It turns out there's a cannabinoid isomer called Delta-8, which is perfectly legal and still gives you that nice little old reverse headache kind of feeling you're used to getting from your guy. Check it out at thehempspot.com, but spell the T-H-C, thehempspot.com. Now double check into the legality in your state, but you should be good. Thehempspot.com is shipping everywhere in America. And during their grand opening through July, use coupon code Horton and get 30% off. And a 10% commission will be paid to the Scott Horton Show for every order using that coupon code. And free shipping on any order over $90. Get your Delta 8 THC cannabis at thehempspot.com. But write THC for thee. Hey guys, Scott Horton here for Mike Swanson's great book, The War State. It's about the rise of the military-industrial complex and the power elite after World War II during the administrations of Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, and Jack Kennedy. It's a very enlightening take on this definitive era on America's road to world empire. The War State by Mike Swanson. Find it in the right-hand margin at scotthorton.org. You know, uh... I can't remember the dates and things as well anymore, but it's in my first book, Fool's Air. And, oh, I think I, I stole this from Chalmers Johnson. It was a congressional report from the 70s saying, they even had coined a phrase for it even, yeah, I think, about the necessity for, you know, certain military officers to keep any base that they happen to be in charge of at any given time open, no matter what, for their own career or their own careers, you know, even after the mission is over. So, well, we need to have this base in Turkey for drug interdiction efforts. Where Then they destroy the, the mafia ring that was, you know, using that transit point that they were there for or whatever, and then they just come up with a new excuse. Well, now we have to 
the Iranians, uh, you know, over, you know, some, whatever it is. There's, and so in other words, it's just the economics of bureaucracy, but just for the entire Pentagon. And which is funny because I was just talking with John Kiriakou about, you know, the economics of keeping Guantanamo open. And then the other interview today, which was supposed to already happen, but I think probably will happen right after yours, is with Gareth Porter, who wrote this great piece about the self-licking ice cream cone, primarily in Afghanistan, but essentially, again, about the institutional interests of the Pentagon itself and of the individual military officers, all of whom are lined up to get their tickets punched that says that they did this and they did that and they were the commander here and they were the commander there. That way they can get more ribbons and more stars and more money later when they sit on the board of Raytheon and whatever like that. And so essentially yeah. it doesn't have a damn thing to net with to do with national defense some guy somewhere like way down the chain somebody pays a think tank to write a study saying we need it to be this way but it's compl- it's almost like after the fact right this whole thing is a self-licking ice cream cone yeah what you're pointing to of course is the military industrial complex or the military industrial congressional complex as we think eisenhower originally uh, coined the the term um, and indeed, you know, in, in my book, Base Nation, I refer to a, a, a Marine officer who described seeing in bases in, in Afghanistan where you had military contractors protecting cooks who were cooking for the military contractors who were protecting the cooks who were cooking for the military contractors. And that, that is, you know, no better example of the self-licking ice cream cone and and points to the way in which you know when when we have situations like that someone is benefiting and it's not primarily the the cooks or the military contractors who are protecting the cooks right. uh, you know it's it's massive military contractors who are laughing their way all to the all the way laughing all the way to the bank excuse me um, and and that's part of the entrenched nature of the problem we're facing and you know there in addition to folks protesting it at, at, around U.S. bases abroad. Um, there are pe- pe- people in the host countries, of course, who, who support the presence of these bases because they too are benefiting. Some of them are, you know, work on the bases and have jobs, but they're also large corporations um, headquartered either in the host countries or transnational corporations that are making money maintaining these bases and that make them entrenched features in the local political economy, which then makes them all the more difficult to close. But what you pointed to is the even deeper reason for the continued existence of many of these bases is 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 located within the Pentagon itself and its links to military contractors. That that once a base is established, as Chalmers Johnson pointed out, drawing on research that actually Congress did in the nineteen early nineteen seventies, late nineteen sixties, showed that once a base is established, it becomes very difficult to shut down. For a whole variety of reasons having to do with the bureaucratic inertia and the entrenched financial interests that uh, benefit from keeping bases open all the while undermining actually undermining u.s national security and u.s and 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 global security Um, and and that's what needs to change yeah and you know you can't underestimate how important those stars and ribbons are to these officers too you know it's their it's not, you know, it's their business, you know, it's not outside of the rules of business other than the fact that they get all their money for free and they don't have to earn any of it. But as far I, as I, I, wanting to profit as much as they can, all that part is still there. 
Yeah, that said, I'm, I'm happy to report that there are, are members of the military who are coming to see that this longstanding policy to maintain hundreds of military bases abroad and hundreds of thousands of troops abroad is actually not a good way to protect the United States or to you know, bring peace and security to the world, which they don't by and large. Um, the highest ranking officer in the US military, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mike Milley, last year said, I think we have too much infrastructure overseas. He called for a close look at this huge network of bases. He's acknowledging there's too much infrastructure, too many bases abroad. Another um, general, former General Roger Brady, said we have too many doggone bases, Air Force General. Um, and this also reflects a growing recognition across the political spectrum, out uh, across the political spectrum outside the U.S. military. So people in think tanks, uh, ac academics, uh, activists, others, um, people across the political spectrum who've come to criticize, sometimes for very different reasons, but criticize this huge collection of bases. And that's the, the reason this report drawdown. Uh, came to be is because of a coalition that has brought together people from across the political spectrum who share uh, this critique and concern uh, about this long-standing policy of encircling the globe with military bases, yeah. the Overseas Base Realignment and Closure Coalition. And we were have been working together to bring people together across the political spectrum and say this policy does not make sense. It is undermining U.S. national security. We need to begin closing bases abroad, and we need to do it urgently. Yeah. Now, I got to tell you, though, that number 750 is so big. It makes me, well, not wonder. That's not the right way to say it. It's hard for me to get my head around that. Does that mean, you know, there's a base here, but there's some sheds down the road from the base, and that counts as a separate base? Or when you say base, you really mean base. There's, it's hard for me to understand how there's that much room in the world for American military bases, you know, in that quantity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the world's a big place. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, there 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 are thousands of bases in the in, in the fifty states and in Washington D.C. Oh, sure. Uh, I think about about four thousand by the Pentagon's latest count. So. Oh yeah. So, now I know, believe that man. No problem. I mean, we got. We got military and, and bases in Austin, like they're protecting us from the Comanche still or something, you know? Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, there have been more U.S. bases abroad in, in recent years. At the height of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, there were more than 2,000 U.S. bases abroad. Uh, they range in size. Some are, are literally city-sized bases with tens of thousands of troops and family members, schools, yoga studios, uh, fast food, all the trappings of a... a not so small U.S. American town, suburban housing developments. You find that Guantanamo Bay, um, and they, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, they're what are often referred to as lily pad bases, much smaller bases um, with just a few hundred troops, sometimes even fewer, a few dozen troops. Uh, so there's there's a wide range, um, but we think 750 again, using the Pentagon's definition of a, a base site, is uh, an appropriate way to to measure and capture the the, the breadth of this uh, collection of, of bases around the world there there are long-standing debates about how do you define a base and um it, it there is no objective definition of a base so we felt the pentagon's definition was the best way to go 
Okay. Um, and then I love this chart that you have here with, you know, the, the map of the world and the, all the lines and stars and, and everything showing, especially West Africa and, of course, all through the Middle East and Europe. And, and I guess this is kind of, in my last question, what I was thinking was, we don't have too many bases in Latin America because they all hate us from all the things that we did to them before and all of that kind of thing. But I guess that's really not right. We got how many military bases in South America and in Central America now? Not, not many. It's it's true. The the U.S. presence in Africa now exceeds the presence in in Latin America. Yeah. Although it is important to point out, and and the history of Latin America, of course, shows this that there are forms of of U.S. military and paramilitary presence that that are not captured by our 750 base figure. Uh, CIA bases and CIA installations are not part of our uh, calculation, but they should very much be be thought about when we think about the U.S. presence abroad and the U.S. military and paramilitary presence abroad. Uh, but the, the, the main U.S. presence in, in Latin America now is in Guantanamo Bay, which we, is a really a colony of the United States. It's, it's the, the base remains there against the will of the, the Cuban people, longstanding will, even before the Cuban Revolution, Cuban government wanted the United States out. Uh, there's also a, a sizable base still in Honduras that should have closed decades ago. Uh, so uh, this is, yeah, just an, an example of of, of the, the spread um, of this base empire. And, and, and these are actually really good examples. Honduras and Gu Guantanamo Bay are good examples of where we could start closing bases abroad, bases mm -hmm. that should have been closed decades ago. Mm -hmm. Well, as we talked about with Japan, you know, just the fact that they're a democracy doesn't mean that the will of the people of Okinawa is being represented in their basing policy there. And I know they've had huge protest movements and all these things to try to at least minimize the harm as best they can. But you've got this great chart where you go through and you count up how many of these bases are in countries that are dictatorships, monarchies, or, um, you know, run by El Presidentes like CC in Egypt things like that, hybrid regimes, which I guess you'd call America a hybrid regime, right? Um, uh, and so, oh, I was being sarcastic, maybe. Um, no, I, I think but, that's... But, I mean, that, no, just the point being that if, it, if, our, if our bases are in a dictatorship or a monarchy, then by definition, the civilian population of those countries have no say in our presence there at all. And it's presumably Correct. against their will. Right. And then there's a chance if it's a democracy that the people somehow are OK with it. But we don't really know that. Yeah, that, that, that in, in a, something we would call a full democracy, and I would agree. I, I do not think the United States is a full democracy in, in any respect. Um, but in, in a full democracy, there is some legitimacy to a foreign military presence, although frequently the, in, in including in, in, in democratic countries, uh, the the legal basis for a U.S. military presence is, is secret. Um, the, the original agreements, for example, in Italy have not been made public. Um, so there, there's, there's often very limited um, democratic legitimacy, even in, in democracies. But as you pointed out, the, your U.S. bases can be found in, in at least 38 countries and colonies that uh, are less than democratic, getting either outright, uh, you know, uh, outright authoritarian regimes or, as you mentioned, hybrid regimes. We used, again, a, a very conservative 
estimate of of uh, the Economist magazine and the Economist intelligence report was our uh, how we defined different uh, government types. Um, Again, there was no desire to exaggerate, um, but what we need to look at when we look at, at the countries and colonies where these bases are located is the kinds of governments that the United States is supporting with its military presence. And uh, I think we should be profoundly troubled by the way in which U.S. bases are, are de facto helping to prop up and support undemocratic, often authoritarian, often murderous regimes. And again, when we think about where should we start closing bases first, I think bases in authoritarian ruled countries are a place to start. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember even thinking about this as a kid, meaning where it was just completely abstract, right? I don't even know, never heard of most of these countries in Africa at the time or whatever, but just the idea that, oh, these are fledgling democracies, so we need to give them all this aid, that it just immediately occurred to me that, yeah, but then... Whoever happens to be in charge then, they get the aid, and it helps keep them in power. But maybe if there really is a democracy there, maybe these guys would have lost the next election and wouldn't be the ones still in charge. Because democracy is a form of government. It's not a group of people in power. And so if you're intervening to help a democracy, you're just picking winners and losers inside that country. You know, I figured that out in like 10th grade or something, just even hearing the concept of foreign aid to poor developing nations overseas, et cetera, et cetera, as though it's all, you know, presuming the kindest and most benign of motivations to do so. You're still tipping the balance for people sure. that you don't couldn't possibly know uh, what the results of the next election would have been instead, you know? Sure. Even even you know the, the 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 best forms of humanitarian aid, you know, will have a, a certain self-serving motivation behind them in almost every case. I, I do think that you know I, I, the the United States and U.S. government I would like to see is one that that does focus on continuing to provide much needed humanitarian aid of, of various kinds. Again, we won't ever strip out all the uh, self-serving interests. Um, but if we could focus our foreign policy there and move our foreign policy away from providing military aid, military aid that has often fueled coups and and crackdown by crackdowns by governments against their own people, um, and move our foreign policy away from a foreign policy defined by military bases and war, that that's the direction we need to go in. And if we don't, my greatest fear is that we're going to end up in yet more wars. And, you know, empires don't go on forever. Uh, Chalmers Johnson showed us this. Mm -hmm. uh, empires fall. And the United States empire is going to fall if we don't wind it, out, wind it down on our own. It's going to fall in an even more catastrophic war than the last 20 catastrophic years of war. Or it's going to fall in bankruptcy or some combination of the two. And we urgently must transform our foreign policy and, and how the United States behaves in the world uh, the, this huge infrastructure of military bases abroad is a damn good place to start. Yeah. Boy, got that right. Okay. Great work. Thank you so much for doing this and for coming on the show to talk about it, David, as always. Appreciate it. Scott, thank you so much for having me. All right, you guys, you got to read David's book, Island of Shame about the Chagosians. It's just incredible. And then, um, of course, Base Nation and this, 
uh, study is at the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft, quincyinst.org. So it's not at responsiblestatecraft.org. It's an official study at quincyinst.org. Drawdown, improving U.S. and global security through military base closures abroad. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. APSradio.com, antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.